Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing all right? As many of you know, my name is Shane. Like they said earlier, I grew up here. I haven't been here for a church service on a Sunday morning 20 years or something. It is vastly different, and it's so encouraging to see everyone worship together and engage. Man, I'm so excited about that. I'm excited to be here and share God's word with you. But before I get into it, I just want to say one thing. Thank you. And I want to explain that. I'm going to try to fix that so you don't hear me breathing the whole time. I want to say thank you. And this is why I want to say thank you. I grew up here. This is where I discovered my calling into ministry. And what this church did for me is you fostered that. You poured into me with patience and wisdom and guidance. When I failed, you didn't kick me out or say, hey, you can't do that anymore. You encouraged me and let me keep trying. You let me grow up and become who I am. And because of that, because you made a disciple out of me, I've had the privilege of baptizing hundreds and leading dozens into ministry themselves. And that is all because you were willing to do that with me. So thank you. It means a lot. It means the world to me. But today, let's get into what we're going to talk about today. We're going to kick off a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm tasked with covering the topic of love. Now, the topic of love has the potential to be a very broad topic, and we could cover all sorts of things, but I'm going to try to focus on specifically what Galatians means when it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. I've done a lot of weddings over the years, and every time I do a wedding, I always ask the couple, how would you define love? And the answers are always very revealing. You learn in asking a young couple this question that many people view love through the lens of attraction or desire. They see love as a feeling. And I'm not surprised by that at all because we see it affirmed around us everywhere. We, we hear things our whole life about soulmates or love at first sight and all those types of things we see in movies. Love seems to be something that we feel instead of something we do. Love has been romanticized into something that it really isn't. That type of love described in our culture is fleeting. It doesn't endure hardship well. It's attractional, situational, and circumstantial. The word love has often been limited to romantic love. But scripture gives us a way bigger picture of what love is. When we talk about the love described in scripture, we see something unique. It's not a passive or strictly emotional love, but a real deep love, love that tells the truth and endures the pain, love that lasts no matter how bad the storm. Love that is is the result of something bigger than us and from someone bigger than us. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna hear from God's word about love. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning that we get to do this. We get to gather as your church, celebrate who you are, give you glory, and hear truth from your word. 
And God, I pray that that is what happens, that our hearts will be moved to action because we have heard from your word and we have been called to something bigger. And God, I ask right now that you would just pour through me the gift of preaching so that the people gathered here today can hear straight from you, that you would remove me out of the way and you would speak. God, we're so thankful for the hope we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. We're gonna be in Galatians 5, and I'm gonna start at verse 19. If you're somebody who likes to follow along, you can do so. The starting in verse 19 of Galatians 5, Paul writes this. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I'm gonna be honest, it's hard to preach on the fruit of the Spirit and not preach this entire chapter. There is so much to unpack here. But the place I wanna start is with grammar, which is exciting, right? We all love grammar lessons. But it's really, really important because people will often say the fruit's of the Spirit. And what that does is it separates all those words into their own entities. And we start viewing them as separate things. But the reality is, it's really important to understand that what Paul meant here is fruit. The actual word is fruit, that that whole list is meant to be one thing, that a person who surrenders their life to the Spirit and they walk in truth, they trust God with their whole life, they call Jesus Lord of their life, all of those things are the fruit of their life. This is who they become. We become someone known as all of those things. So while we'll spend most of our time together this morning focusing on what love really is, I wanna make sure you understand as we begin this journey through the fruit of the spirit that all of these things go together. You don't get to pick some and not others. When you live life giving your whole heart to Jesus, you naturally grow one fruit that is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not things you do or things you put on, but they are who you are. They define you. And one way I, I wanna explain this, right now in our culture, there's an obsession with personality profiles. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but. Enneagram and DISC and Myers-Briggs and they're all strength finder. They're all over the place. And one of the things that happens with those, especially the Enneagram, is people use their personality profile as an excuse to not be kind or not be, well, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I'm just a jerk. That's not how it works. And that's not what this list is meant to be either. This list is meant to be a holistic collection of things you become when you surrender your life to Jesus. Also, the fruit of the Spirit is not something you practice or do in order to be more like Jesus or more Spirit-filled or get more favor from God. That's not what it's meant to be. That's backwards. And I understand it's natural to wanna to think that way. We as humans naturally want to know what we need to do in order to receive. That's easy for our brains to comprehend and we do it with everything. 
We want to know things like, how much do I have to work to get paid? Or how many chores do I have to complete so I can play golf? It's easy for our minds to comprehend that. We want to know in this context how loving or joyful or patient do I need to be in order to receive favor from God. But like I said, that's backwards. What's harder to do is comprehend it the other way. What do I need to receive in order to do? That's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense, but the entire New Testament is about that. The entire New Testament is pointing to this idea that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we begin to do things. That when we give our heart to Jesus and receive forgiveness and freedom, we, out of an abundance of love and joy, start to do things differently. The choices we make are different, not because of sheer willpower, but because of surrender to Jesus and trust in his spirit. His spirit dwells in us and it begins to take over how we think and feel and operate. When we give our lives to Jesus and surrender to him in baptism, we are no longer who we were. Paul talks about this in Romans 6 verse 1, and this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. He has laid out before this verse, he's laid out all of the power of grace that because of the cross, sin has been overcome and we are free from the penalty of sin. And then he says this, he poses this question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The old you is dead. You are now a new creation. You are free from sin. You don't overcome sin by the sheer willpower of wanting to not do it anymore. That's not how it works. You overcome sin by putting it to death on the cross and receiving God's spirit to make you a new creation. And then you start to act differently because you're filled with the spirit. And when you're filled with the spirit, when Jesus is Lord of your life, you're new. Or as Colossians 1 says that you are without blemish and free from accusation. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus has made this possible. You are free. You are new. And because of that freedom, you live differently. So what makes us different? What do I mean by living differently? Throughout scripture, you'll hear the writers writing things like, we're aliens in a foreign land, or this world is not our home, or as Paul writes in Philippians 3, he makes this, this contrast. He says, their destiny is destruction, and their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who we are. The point here is that we're just different. We live here, we work here, we have relationships here, but as Christ followers, there's just something different about us. And what is that? One thing that makes us different is that heaven is our home. We know without a doubt as followers of Jesus that this world is temporary and that heaven is forever. And this emboldens us and it gives us a passion unlike anyone else. The other thing that's different is the way we love. 
our love is sure and confident, passionate and bold. Our love, biblical love, is not built on our emotions, but it is the result of our faith in Jesus. Because of Jesus' great love for us, we in turn choose to love others. The fruit of the Spirit section is in Galatians 5. And earlier in that chapter, Paul writes this. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. I'll say it again. This type of love is the result of our faith. Love grows from our trust in Jesus. Now, biblical love is also sacrificial. Paul goes on in chapter five and says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We as Christians serve each other without worrying about what we might receive in return. We are sacrificial in nature. That's how love is displayed. We sacrifice, we serve. Our service is an overflow of our faithfulness in Jesus and our faithfulness is expressed in love. But one of the problems we have is that love has become confusing. As I said earlier, it's been boiled down to a simple feeling of attraction, desire, or affection. But love is so much more than that. Love is active. Love is a verb, as we've heard many times in our lives. It requires action. Love cannot be passive. In James chapter two, the writer talks about this, and many of us know the verse, faith without works is dead. We've heard that many, many times. But listen to the whole thing. James is imploring you to do something. So starting in verse 14, this is what he says. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even demons believe that and shudder. Look, belief is not the problem. Many people believe in a God. If you were to survey culture right now, you would see that most people believe in the existence of a God. That is not the issue. It's that belief leading to something bigger. It's that belief leading to faith in action and that is displayed in love. You see, Paul says, I want to make sure I reiterate this again. He says that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. And I want to be clear, the deeds do not save you. There is no work you can do that will result in a deeper forgiveness or a better outcome. That is not what good deeds do. We don't do good deeds in order to receive forgiveness. The good deeds we do are the result of a life surrendered to Jesus, a result of faith. We do good things because good things have been done for us that have changed us. 
and we want others to know about it. It's really that simple. Jesus died on the cross for us and we are forgiven and free because of it. We believe that that is true and that changes our heart and now we go and we do so that others can discover that same truth. This is made plain for us in Ephesians chapter two. In verse eight, Paul writes this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our faith in Jesus is what sets us free from the penalty of sin and death. And through the change in our hearts, because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we then do good works for the glory of God. And I know that word, sanctifying, sanctification, it's a word that gets lost in translation sometimes because it's a very churchy word. But all it means is the work that the Holy Spirit does in us to make us a new creation. We are baptized, we follow Jesus, and we are saved. We are made into a new creation. And then from that point onward, the Holy Spirit is continually sanctifying us, making us new, removing those pieces of us that don't look like Jesus so that we can look more and more like Jesus. That's what happens when we live life and surrender to the Spirit. Love is the result of a life surrendered to Jesus. Put more plainly, true love is known when we know Jesus. Or as 1 John 4, 19 puts it, he writes it this way. He says, we love because he first loved us. We give him our heart and he redeems it. He renews it. And he puts deep inside it a longing for his presence and for heaven and home. So what exactly is love? What is it? Love is our faith in Jesus expressed through our actions. The God we serve is a God who is marked by love. He created us because he loves. He sent Jesus to us because he loves. He redeemed us from sin because he loves. He sent us on a mission to make disciples of all nations because he loves. And he calls us home to heaven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because he loves. This truth should cause us to be people who love without limitation and without fear. It should embed in us a boldness that shouts from the rooftops the freedom we have because of the cross. We are free people. Now church, we have the greatest news in the history of news. The gospel, the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a death he did not deserve and through that death made the forgiveness of sin possible. This is the greatest news ever. We are no longer bound by our sin. We are free from it. But what's even more amazing is that the story doesn't end there. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death forever and giving us the hope and promise of heaven. And we live as strangers in a foreign land and it is difficult. But we long for a day when we live in the perfect presence of God. Every tear is wiped away. Every pain is gone. And that causes us now 
to be different people who love boldly. We should be overcome with joy at all times and in all circumstances because no matter what we face, we are free from sin and death. We should love passionately without fear, without limitation because he loved us first. So let's do that. Let's be the church. The church is not a place we go, it's a people we are. And we go and we live passionately and boldly to declare the glory of God and the freedom we have in Jesus. So let's go and tell the world about this hope we have and love them so much that they can't deny its power. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for the hope we have in Jesus that we're no longer slaves to the sinful nature. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are not bound by our sin, but we're free and we have hope and we have life and we can trust Jesus. And God, we're thankful for the cross that because of the cross, we, we are no longer bound by our sin. And God, we pray that this morning you would spur us to action, that love would not be something that we just feel or receive, but it would be something we do and give. God, move us to be people of action so that this is not just a place we come, but that we would be a community that goes out and takes your love into the community and into the world so that people are changed. And we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.